1: Welcome back Bears fans to another episode of the Bears Brothers Podcast and welcome to episode number 244. Today's show is a combo as we'll discuss our time in Canton at Urlacher's enshrinement as well as a quick recap of today's Bears practice. This is your host Will DeWitt, and today I'm joined by three of my Bears Brothers that I got to spend the entire week and weekend with. They are Brandon Hazlett, Nicholas Moriano, and Will Ingles. And fellas, you know, it was great getting to bond with you over the weekend. It's pretty cool, you know, we do this show, we all live in different places and when we actually get to hang out in person, it's like we've been lifelong friends. I feel like I know you all a little bit more now. We have some inside jokes. And like I said before you left today's practice, I wish the weekend didn't end, but it did. And alas, we're here recording another Bears podcast. And uh, just to start some things off, uh, I want to go around the horn here. Uh, what's one part of your weekend, not Brian or like her specific, we'll get to him in a moment, uh, that you want to share with our listeners? Anything about our time in Canton, our time just in general? And B, I'm going to hand it over to you first.
2: Yeah, so something I want to share that I really enjoyed was our time in Cleveland at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, I think we referenced this whole weekend to the Hall of Fame weekend because we spent some time there at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I thought it was cool to see uh, different memorabilia that they have in there, as well as uh, some of the, they have lyrics written on a piece of paper that, I mean, obviously that they wrote the song on, but it's just cool that they have it uh, there for you to see. So that was something I thought was really cool.
1: Yeah, you know, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, Jimi Hendrix uh, found some doodles he did as a kid, and... You know, very talented person, obviously, but didn't know he was an artist as well. Well, like someone who uses his pen and paper and that kind of artist. Obviously, he's a musical artist. Uh, But what about you, Nick? What's maybe your top takeaway that you want our listeners to know about our weekend?
3: You know, it's just meeting some of our listeners throughout the weekend. That was so, you know, surreal, really. I mean, obviously when we go to A, we do meet some of our listeners because, again, it's a Bears-oriented practice. But here, we're in Canton, Ohio. Obviously, Brian are getting inducted. But we met a bunch of our listeners, our, you know, our fans. And that was awesome just to, to meet them and uh, to see, you know, where they actually listen to us at just doing, like, daily activities. At one point, we had a fan say, we are the future of podcasting. And, you know, that... When that happened, it's like you're just kind of taken back by it that we get to impact so many different people and, you know, just provide that great Bears coverage.
1: Hey, that's what we're here to do. And obviously, our goal is being fulfilled. Uh, Everyone that we've talked to had uh, great remarks for the show, which, like you said, it's a great feeling to have that something that I never thought was even going to be remotely possible when we started the show a few years ago. Uh, but what about you, Will? I know you weren't down in Canton nearly as long as we were, but it felt like you were there forever, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I
4: was going to say, ouch, I think. Um, but I would say the the standout moment for me is when we were going through the actual Pro Football Hall of Fame, you know, th- there was a ton of cool history, you know, a lot of awesome Bears history that I'm sure you guys will get to see some photos of at some point. But when, it felt like i was missing something uh, the whole time and it was just like i feel like i'm missing what the hall of fame is all about and then yeah, i couldn't believe it. i forgot about it but then we walked by all the bus like the whole entire like room with all like the hall of fame bus and it was just like all that history all that you know football from the past and you know even the, you know the recent inductees just like hit me all at once that was that was a pretty awesome moment uh, that I don't think I'll ever forget that first moment where like you aren't even in there, but you're walking by the line where the room opens up and you can see part of it. It's like, Oh, that's mm-hmm. th- those are all the busts right there.
1: Yeah. And, and it's really cool. Cause like, we know, we wait in that line the entire 90 minutes of it to get all the way through. But the first bus you see is George Alice right in the middle for the very first class, uh, which of course, Papa Bear, won the, founding members of the nfl uh, spearheaded the entire league and then you walk for a little bit and then you see the empty spot where brian nurlacher is gonna go well i'm sure the bus is actually there now but when we were there it's still empty so you know it all comes full circle from papa bear all the way uh to brian nurlacher and of course we got to see every bears bust in between so for me of course
0: finally a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep, all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to five hundred dollars on select adjustable mattress sets, and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at Tempur-Pedic.com.
1: That was a great moment for me. Maybe not my favorite thing, but just like the theme of the week was like, you know, it was a week of first, first time going to Cleveland, first time going to Canton, first time ever going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, of course, Uh, first time having all four of us get to hang out for an entire weekend. Uh, Brandon got to try crab for the first time. We had some crab legs one night, got to try some different beers from across the country one night, too. So again. A weekend of first, and uh, hopefully it's the first of many great weekends to come for us. But guys, now let's get into Urlacher's speech last night, and honestly, what a speech it was. He choked up. We choked up. And for those of you who caught it, which I am sure uh, most of you have, I know you did too. I mentioned it on Twitter, but I think it's worth saying on the podcast. I watched Brian Urlacher play for 13 years in a Bears uniform, but I felt like we finally got to meet him last night. We finally get to understand who Brian Urlacher is. And I'm getting a little choked up talking about it. So, B, over to you. Uh, Top takeaway from Brian? The way that he
2: ended it, uh, he said, you know, of my time here in Chicago and what I want, everyone that I played against and everyone who played with me, I just want them to know, uh, I didn't do it for me. I wanted it because I wanted to be the best teammate that I could possibly be and, and bring Chicago what you know what he brought to uh, to the city.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's uh that's a that was a big one of his themes that he hit on uh, pretty
3: hard throughout the speech. What about you, Nick? A top takeaway? Yeah, just Brian Erlacher. Obviously, not being a guy that likes to talk in front of people, I thought he did a great job with it. Just the way his speech was organized and the message that he conveyed conveyed just through you know persevering through what he went through and then being a great teammate and you know talking about some of those teammates i thought the mike brown impersonation was hilarious when it (laughs) happened (laughs) you know obviously uh you know saying he has a squeaky voice and stuff like that but you know it shows a little bit of that personality like you were talking about will and then just brian getting a little choked up there you know if had he had like tears gone down his face no doubt in my mind i would have done the same exact thing but brian urlacher um you know, he was nervous doing it, and he, he admitted to that afterwards, but he did a great job with it, and he just a great speech overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I had to keep the sunglasses on. A little misty eye for me. Nothing, nothing rolling, but uh, still, a little bit of misty eyes were happening, no doubt about it. Uh, Will, over to you. What do you want our listeners to know from that speech?
4: You know, I, I, I think, going off of what you mentioned, like we really got to meet him for the first time, I think kind of just the most, like, you know, gut punch there was in that speech is when he's talking about his father, he's like, you know, I never really got to know why you left. You know, I don't know a whole lot about you, but you know, i would forgiven you. And that's what my mom would have wanted. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. And, and that, and mm-hmm. like you mentioned, well, when he was a Chicago bear, we never saw that side of him. And I respect that. He was a true professional in every sense of the word, you know, the way he walked, uh, the way he talked and the way he played was emblematic of exactly what a Chicago bears linebacker is. And that's exactly why we were in Canton on Saturday to, to honor that career. But you got to see a bit of the person of Brian Urlacher and that was the, I I honestly feel like the first time I ever got to witness that. And I'm almost like trembling talking about it because it was, it was a sight to behold and it was an absolute privilege to be able to get to see that in person.
1: No, it really was. And you mentioned it like about the father thing. My second takeaway on that would be what he had to say to his stepfather, you know, uh, just how much he meant to him, which is, pretty cool. Oh, but no, just family in general. I mean, you know, Brian's a family guy. He's very secluded, but like just to see how much family from uh, his parents to now his children and what he wants to instill in them. Of course, that was one of my big things, like the family theme, which of course goes back to the teammate theme because he treats his teammates like family and kind of, I thought it was like one big theme about family and teammates and all that. And of course he gave us, uh, us, the Bears fans, not us, the podcast, uh, a shout out near to the end saying you never got to say goodbye. And I mean yeah i think the lack of closure has definitely been both ways uh but yeah we got some all right So that's going to wrap up our discussion on the Hall of Fame weekend. We keep going. I'm going to start crying on the podcast, and I have never done that in 243 episodes. We're not going to make it happen here in 244. Uh, But, again, just a shout-out to all the fans of the show that we got to meet during Canton. So many awesome people, even better stories on what the podcast means to them, all very touching. So, again, on behalf of all of us, Nick already hit it home, but I just want to thank you again one last time. Up next, we're going to break down Sunday morning's Bears practice. But before we do, I need to call a quick timeout and tell you about our show sponsor, Geek. Whether you're headed to a baseball game or a concert this summer, or just anxiously awaiting football season, I've been there, SeatGeek has you covered. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. As you know, the Bears brothers have the SeatGeek, on our, uh, the SeatGeek app on our phones, our devices, and it's by far the easiest way that we can shop for any type of live ticket. Uh, we actually were looking at Cleveland Indian tickets on SeatGeek uh, when we were in Cleveland for the weekend, well, Cleveland Canton uh, on Friday night. But there, it was a sold-out game, so unfortunately we weren't able to go. Um, but SeatGeek is really designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. And if you sign up for their newsletter, I love it because you sign up, uh, you tell them like the location of where you would most likely buy for tickets. And every week you get like a list of events happening near you. So if there's something that maybe you're unaware of, uh, they'll make sure that you know that it's happening. And of course, every purchase at SeatGeek is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets with confidence. And the best part of all is that our listeners get $20 off that first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code BEARS today. That's promo code BEARS, B E A R S, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All righty, you're listening to the Bears Brothers podcast. I'm your with and today I have three Bears Brothers with me Brandon, Nick, and Kermit. And we are beginning our breakdown of today's practice. Kermit, you with us?
4: Yeah, well, uh, I'm so happy that you, you called me out on the podcast, so yeah, I'm here.
1: That's Kermit. We got introduced to him for the first time throughout the weekend, so I had to make sure uh, he knew he was appreciated here on the show. But, all right, so last night we were at the enshrinement, right? And we went right from the parking lot, right there in Canton, all the way to Brandon's house for a quick two-hour power nap. And then right to Bears camp this morning, drove all the way back to our respective homes, and here we are recording a show. So, of course, this is going to be the second half of today's episode. And let's talk about uh, what we saw today at practice, which is going to be my personal last camp report but i know nick is going to a few more here near the end of this week and of course he's heading all the way to denver for the joint practices but guys i want to begin with the defense because i think the last like five or so in a row we started with the offense so it's time to shake things up so i want to know your biggest takeaways on defense in general before we get into position specifics and nick i'm going to go to you first here
3: Yeah, so the defensive from the defensive line all the way to the secondary players, I thought did a great job today. Whether it was in one-on-one drills, team drills, uh, whatever aspect of the practice they were in, the defense looked pretty dominant. And uh, specifically, Will and I had a good view up in the bleachers, and we were just watching a blocking drill happen. And it was the outside linebackers, inside linebackers versus tight ends and running backs. And for the majority of that drill— those linebackers just dominated. There was only a few individuals who didn't, uh, you know, play the part of uh, beating their, their respective man. But, you know, Leonard Floyd looked really good. Sam Macho showing these power moves against these tight ends. Trey Burton had no, no chance against them. But, yeah, I think that set the tone early on in practice because throughout dom- uh, there was just domination by the defense. All right, I'm bringing Will back onto the show. Will, uh, top <laughs> takeaways
1: here on the defense?
4: Yeah, Kermit. Kermit had to go, but uh, he's very appreciative that you let him on the show. Anyways, <laughs> uh, going the defense was very physical today. I'd say there was really only one lapse for them, and that was in uh, that was in one on ones with receivers and D backs. And I think that was more due to Trubisky just just putting lasers out there. But that's I I digress too much on the offense there. I I think the biggest takeaway for me was how much the defensive line just dominated the offensive line. And that was first, second and third string. I think Nick and I watching in the bleachers maybe saw one positive run all day long. And that's really saying something because I think there it's not exactly a slouch offensive line that we have. But the defensive line, it wasn't like a stalemate and then linebackers were cleaning up the play. There was like two to three yards of penetration every single run play, and that and they weren't going anywhere with any type of run. The, the running back couldn't even make a cut before either Akeem Hicks or Leonard Floyd or Trevathan's maybe running in there. It, it was incredible to watch. Uh, Nick and I were in awe about that.
1: Well, spoiler alert, because you already talked about my biggest takeaway, and it wasn't really any specific position or play or perhaps trend it's just the fact that Danny Trevathan was out there in team drills last week uh, he wasn't in padded practice but he was partaking a little bit um, in the non-padded practice and today the pads were on he was playing uh, he was doing individual drills and he was out there again during team drills which is a sight to see you know having number 59 back there uh, it's definitely a step in the right direction we're still waiting on number 58 Uh, again a discussion for another podcast hopefully we don't need that discussion hopefully things kind of clear up here soon on that front but we'll see but in regards to Trevathan it's good to have him back out there he wasn't a slight pitch count um, but you know getting your leader on defense uh, especially for the linebacker unit uh, he's taking steps in the right finally a bed that
0: senses snoring and automatically responds meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic our first system that detects snoring then automatically adjusts by raising the bed get your best sleep all night every night for a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. pediccom
1: Direction. And so for me, that's my biggest takeaway, that Danny Trevathan, he's, he's back. What about you, B? Yeah, the biggest takeaway was the
2: energy. Uh, like we talked about after the Ravens game, uh, the defense really only gave up seven points throughout that game, uh, and that energy showed up with Akeem Hicks. He when he, he was in there on a lot of those run plays that you guys are talking about where, you know, the running backs just were not getting any positive yards. Uh, and he's in there, and he's, like, celebrating a lot after these tackles. He's the one back there penetrating the line, uh, getting back to the running back. And then that showed up with Bilal Nichols as well. Uh, they're doing goal line situations, and Bilal Nichols was able to make two very big run stops uh, to keep the offense from getting in. So uh, their
1: confidence from Thursday is boiling over into training camp, and it was really cool to see. Indeed, indeed. All right, guys, looking at more position specifics for some more takeaways about today's practice, let's look at the defensive line. And, B, I know you already talked about Akeem Hicks and Bilal Nichols, which, of course, is two defensive linemen. Anything further you would like to add in that category? Outside of that, I I like the the Roy Robertson-Harris-Jonathan Bullard uh,
2: combo at defensive end. Uh, Overall, they had a quiet day, but I still think that overall it's going to be a very strong group. They've showed a lot throughout camp. Uh, Despite having a quiet day, that doesn't mean that they were still you know They were still able to be part of the run defense that didn't allow uh, the running backs to gain much today. So while it may have looked quiet out there on the team drills, I wasn't there for the blocking drills, so I don't know how much uh, they were in on that. Uh, but I think that despite having a, a quote-unquote quiet day, uh, they're still there in the run support, which is good.
1: Yeah, their holder contained that many runs were able to bounce to the outside. But, I mean, defensive line from the interior all the way out was just, like you guys mentioned a few minutes ago, pretty darn dominant. Let's go back to Will here. Uh, in terms of the defensive line, anything else that we should mention?
4: I would say, because if you're looking at the, the roster as of this point, that spot between Bullard and Roy Robertson-Harris is kind of that last guaranteed starting spot up for grabs. And who gets the start? It's probably going to be pretty evenly split between them, if I had to guess. That's kind of like the last starting uh, spot up for grabs. Uh, I would say, at least to me, Jonathan Bullard flashed a little bit more today. I saw a few more plays with quick burst out of him that really uh, pushed a run back inside and created a tackle for loss. Um, You kind of mentioned that it was an overall quiet day on a stat sheet. Yes, it would have been, but his impact was definitely felt, and I was able to see that from my angle. So to me, a little notch for uh, Jonathan Bullard uh, in this competition throughout camp.
1: Awesome. Yeah, you guys had a much better view than me. I don't know why I passed it up early on. I think I was still half asleep. That drive was getting to my head, but over to you, Nick. Defensive line, anything that we have not mentioned yet?
3: No, I think I have to agree with Will that uh Bullard actually had the better day today. He did make a little bit more plays. Um there was this one where the Bears did a lot of situational uh football today where they're they're doing third downs or fourth downs or trying to convert. But Jonathan Bullard uh gets into the backfield with that quick burst um and is able to tackle. I believe it's Jordan Howard in the backfield and forces a fourth down. So um that's what you want to see from Jonathan Bullard. And again, this is a competition between him and Roy Robertson-Harris, but right now I have to give the the edge to Bullard. Okay, I have two more things I want to mention here for defensive line. I'm just going to kind of
1: state them, and then we can move on to linebacker here. One, Bilal Nichols, he moved up to the twos. Uh, throughout the Bears camp, before the first preseason game, he was working predominantly with the threes, and he was very quiet. He had that one decent play the last practice. I was there, I think, oh, about a week ago. And then, of course, he had the, another play here in a preseason game. And now he's moved up to the twos. And today, um, during that one series that Brandon kind of mentioned where he was strong, he was showing confidence and passion. Like, after a play, you know, he was hooping and hollering and screaming. I heard him 100 yards out, and I was like, who was that? And I saw it was, uh, Nichols, and I was like, that is the first time I saw him, like, show, like, passion out there which is great so i think his confidence is starting to rise and he's starting to feel a little bit more at place here in this bears defense which i mean this is a perfect time for him to kind of get his footing and then john jenkins he was out there playing defensive end today i don't know if you guys saw that but he was playing with the ones uh this is when the bears were probably dominantly running the ball so perhaps this is like the defensive what jumbo package heavy set whatever you want to put it but the three big bodies of eddie goldman Na'Keem hicks and john jenkins out there together uh, to me was something I didn't really anticipate seeing today, but I did. Uh, so John Jenkins getting some time at defensive end uh, will any insight on how you think that would maybe fair in a regular season.
4: It's all situational like you like Nick and yourself mentioned, it's not something that you'll normally see. But if it's a jumbo package on the goal line, I could definitely see that being a more beneficial thing where it is literally just a game of inches and making sure that your hole is completely clogged for a running back not to be able to get through. So I could definitely see that having some potential in the regular season. It all just comes down to situational stuff, which I mean, on kind of a tangent, Nagy's doing a great job of making sure the Bears are doing that all practice long. I could probably count on my hands how many times the, the offense lined up without a down and distance uh, for them to accomplish. So even if they're running on air, they're running things to get a first down or all the way to the end zone if that's uh, if that's the situation they have set up. So situationally, I think that could be a very successful package. And overall, just the situational football was a great thing to see.
1: Awesome. Thanks for that insight, Will. Let's move on over to linebacker. And Nick, I'm going to just swing it over to you. We've already talked about Danny Trevathan uh, returning today in team drills. What else at linebacker,
3: inside or out, you get to choose here that you want to mention? Yeah, so I'm going to start with Nick Kwiatkowski, which... I think he didn't have the best day today. Uh, again, going in back to those blocking drills, he just doesn't have much creativity when he goes to get after the the quarterback on, or trying to get you know out of a block. Uh, Benny Cunningham was able to stand him up a few times in that drill, and Will and I were talking about this. Just when Kukowski goes, it's just it's a bull rush. And if that doesn't work, well, there's no he's like a one trick pony. So they actually made him do the drill one last time before they switched out. And Benny Cunningham, he ends up losing a but he still holds him up. He stands him up again. Um, And then in coverage, there was a lot of plays that happened over the middle of the field with these post routes to the tight ends, Deion Sims and Trey Burden. Well, Krakowski's in coverage for both of those plays. Um, So in terms of, you know, Krakowski and how his day was, he didn't have, you know, his better day today because he's had a pretty good camp so far, but today was definitely not one of his better ones.
1: Do you think it could be having Trevathan back out there and he's kind of acclimating himself to, like,
3: the the
1: other, you know, the off-ball linebacker instead of having to be the Mike?
3: Well, see, still, even in individual drills, like, he, he's still not competing at, you know, maybe the best of his ability. But maybe coverage-wise, yeah, they still got to sort things out. But still, he's in, in you know what, credit to Kirkhouse, he was in position sometimes, but he still has to make a play. He just didn't make any today.
1: Absolutely. No, I agree. I have here my notes. uh, The only things I recall from quit was allowing Sims to get behind him on a scene during seven on seven. And he also gave up a big play to Burton. So you're right. The coverage uh, was surely lacking for him today. And again, I I, I personally, I think it's due to having to switch different roles. He's been playing primarily as the Mike throughout camp. So now he switches and now he's thinking again, he's not reacting. So I think that's probably why. Go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. I want
4: to hop in on here quick. Um, As you're playing linebacker, I will say that uh, seam routes are definitely the hardest to cover for a linebacker because while you're trying to, you know, fall deeper to make sure that you don't let the quarterback, you know, complete underneath, which is the easier throw, you're also opening up a larger window. The further you run back to cover that seam, the bigger the window you're opening up in front of you for a crosser, which you know, defensively, of course, you want to give up the shorter ball before you give it the longer ball, but you do have to sort of defend both. So as someone who famously in our linebackers episode really tore quite apart, I will say that that is one of the harder things for a linebacker to do is is cover a seam route while also making sure he's not giving a giant cushion to crossers underneath.
1: Look at you. I appreciate that. Uh, You're not just going on another rant on Kwiatkowski. No, obviously, that was really good insight there, Will. Uh, I appreciate that you were able to give us the view from a linebacker. Um, So while you're having the floor here, Will, I'm going to bounce it right back to you. Anything else from the Bears linebackers today that kind of caught your eye?
4: Uh, From the outside linebackers, uh, when Nick's mentioned the pass rush drills a few times, uh, Leonard Floyd took a ton of reps. I think we counted eight or nine, which is a lot for that time frame and that drill. Usually they're cycling people in and out, but Floyd just went on the same side like nine times. And to his credit, he I think he won six of those, whether he would have drawn a holding call, an egregious holding call, or whether he got the sack. And he looked explosive. Uh, I mentioned in our linebackers podcast as well that last season it looked like Floyd lacked kind of that explosion that made him a weapon in twenty-six in 2016. I think that explosion's back for the most part, at least in that pass rush, Jill. He he used a variety of moves. He ripped to the outside, ripped to the inside, and then when people were kind of expecting him to use a speed rush, he was able to give uh, a push-pull, which is kind of you start out like a bull rush, but then you pull the the, the offensive blocker forward, uh, gets them off balance, usually a really good move as a change-up. He was really using a ton of different moves, which was really encouraging for me to see. So, But other than that, I think... And Ocho looked good on some power moves, but he was successful with those power moves, but he didn't have a variety of them. So I would say overall, I was kind of a little disappointed of the lack of variety the Bears had at the pass rushing because you're able to show every single position. So inside linebacker, like you're mentioning, quits one-on-one with the running back, whereas the outside linebackers are one-on-one on tight ends. And it just didn't look like there was a whole lot of variety and depth as far as just a uh, pin your ears back and get after the passer type of, uh, type of mentality outside of Floyd and Acho, which I thought was a little disheartening.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that would be disheartening to see. Uh, you had the view. I did not. There's a bunch of bodies in between you and me in that drill. So I appreciate that insight. I'm just going to go right over to the secondary and I'm just going to hand over to Brandon for uh, one of his takeaways.
2: DeAndre Hall, uh, he ended up taking over safety on the second string because Deion Bush isn't playing uh, there due to his injury. Uh, he had a very nice one-handed interception today uh, deep down the field. Uh, that th- was nice and very encouraging to see, and he was so excited afterwards. He, One thing that we heard from the coaches throughout the day was finish, uh, and he – the ball off and ran down the field. He didn't quite get to the end zone, but he threw the ball into the end zone. Uh, I don't know if that was his version of finishing the play, but it was cool to see him make the play and then get excited like that, uh, just, again, feeding off the energy uh, that the, the defense had from Thursday and following Blau Nichols and uh, Keem Hicks throughout practice today.
1: Yeah, no, that was a great play. We saw that over 100 yards away, and he got up for it. Uh, Great play and coverage. Uh, It was double coverage, so he had a little bit of help there. But, no, going up one-handed, hauling that in, and, of course, getting up and hustling. Maybe a finish would have been nice. But, no, he liked it. I mean, it got the crowd going, which, of course, is nice. Uh, So I'm going to hand it over here to Will and Nick because when the Bears did a lot of team drills today, It was primarily running the ball. But in terms of the one-on-ones, the seven-on-sevens, you guys had the better vantage point for the most part. So I'm going to kind of let you guys take the show here for the secondary. Uh, How did they fare? Who
3: stood out for good or bad? And let's go to Nick first. So for a person that stood out and a name that we don't really talk about much was Dorian Grant, Um, I think, and he was l- lined up against Adam Shaheen. He's listed at 5'10 on the roster, and there are times where it was a jump ball Adam Shaheen. Dorian Grant just kind of outplays him and, you know, swats the ball away. And then there's another one where they they were repping earlier in practice. Shaheen ran a slant route. Well, they actually run that play. Grant's right there to break up that pass. So I think he had a pretty good day today when, um, you know, Otherwise, Anthony Miller was burning most of the corners that were uh, lining up against him. But Dorian Grant, I think uh, he definitely showed some, you know, what he's capable of. And especially against the height differential that Adam Shaheen and him have, that's great to see. What about you, Will?
4: For me, in watching one-on-ones and then transitioning to watching seven-on-seven, it just— it just confirms what we've been saying pretty much every practice is that the strength of this defense is when it's on the field together. The unit is so much stronger than the individual pieces. Cause like Nick said, they were getting torched in one-on-ones and one-on-ones are an offensive drill. You know, the, the offense definitely has the advantage in that mm-hmm. respect, but still like they were getting shredded. And I mean, it helped that Trubisky was on fire for that segment and the, the beginning portion of practice. But then seven on seven comes and they had a few good seam routes and they had a few good plays, but all of a sudden, like it became a lot harder for the offense to execute when more of that defense came together. And it's not like Kyle Fuller became a different person. It's not like Prince of Mukamara became a different person. It's not like Eddie Jackson became a completely different you know person in coverage. It's just that these guys know how to play together, and whether that is just from experience together whether that's from Fangio system giving them you know the tools to success as far as playing as a team I don't know but it's crazy to watch one on one drills and then see them transition to a team defense it's it's incredible to watch that transition and to see that killer instinct in that and as the common football term is called flip the switch between those one on one drills to team drills it it was a lot of fun to watch
1: You're right. No, that's been a theme throughout the entirety of Bears camp, and it was on full display today. Uh, Will Ornick, anything else in terms of the secondary? I know that Kevin Tolliver was back out there today. Uh, I don't think he put a full practice out, but I did actually, he did, because I remember he was playing with the threes, uh, primarily, and before his injury, he was working with the twos. Now, of course, you take a week and a half, two weeks off, back down to the third string. Uh, Did you guys see anything from him out there? Because for me, it was pretty quiet. Of course, nothing crazy impactful, but he also wasn't giving up many plays. I don't have him notched down for any of those. Um, So Maybe fans want a Kevin Tolliver update or just update them on something else. I I don't care.
3: Um I, on Kevin Tolliver, like you said, there wasn't much on him. Um I know he was late on a breaking on uh, an out route, but that's tough to guard at you know the position like will was saying it's more offense oriented so i didn't really see much of him and again that's not the the worst thing and overall just with the 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 safeties in general they had a pretty quiet day i would say um there was one play where anthony miller did put eddie jackson on his butt though so i think we'll talk about that more in the offense but um other than that it was kind of uh quiet in that aspect
0: finally a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds meet the ergo smart base from Pedic. Our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic.
3: Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. But nothing more for the updates on Kevin Tolliver
4: yeah for me on Tolliver, um I agree it was a pretty quiet day for him. I mean when you get reps with the threes, obviously their reps aren't going to be as numerous as the ones and the twos those are the ones that really need uh need the practice overall um and then of course you're having a third string offense you know it's not going to be you know as high flying or not as complicated in some respects. so maybe it's a little bit diff- more difficult for uh for Tolliver to thrive in this aspect, but he's going to need to start making some splash plays if he wants to claw his way back into this competition like we thought he might in the beginning days of Bears camp.
1: Exactly, exactly. One last thing I want to note uh, with Marcus Cooper, we did have one 7-on-7 seven seven real quick in the early portions of practice uh, right in front of Brandon and I in the end zone. And he was beaten two consecutive plays, same exact route, Uh, the first one from Allen Robinson, uh, I mean the first one from Allen Robinson, the second one from Anthony Miller, uh, just on quick outs. I mean, he allowed them to gain, I know it's a tough route to cover, but allowed them to gain probably like five yards of separation. I mean, he was nowhere to be seen, allowing both Robinson and Miller to catch the ball and turn up field with nobody there and helping out in coverage. So, again, uh, Marcus Cooper continuing to struggle may be something to keep (laughs) an eye on. But that's going to do. We it. have
4: something to add with that go one forward. Nick it, and for I it. got to see a fantastic. Uh, play oh, yeah. by. Mark. <laughs> so uh, typically when a wide receiver is going to block on a play, they're going to try to run that corner off and make it look like a route as long as they can. And then once the corner starts to realize they, they go into a stock block, uh, Trubisky ran a bootleg and winds up, you know, keeping the ball and running and I can't remember who the receiver was, but they just kept running down the field, and Trubisky is 10 yards past the line of scrimmage, and Marcus Cooper is still staring down his receiver like, <laughs> oh, man, this guy's got no separation from me. And then Trubisky runs right past him. Yep. And you <laughs> just see this realization like, oh, I shouldn't be staring him down so hard.
1: Yeah, we saw that too. And we're like, oh, Marcus Cooper went that way, and Trubisky went the other way. And like, okay, Marcus. So that's a three negative knocks for Marcus Cooper. Today, I think that's enough for us. Um, any final thoughts on defense? Uh, let me know.
3: No, I think we're good. And let's let's get into the offensive side.
1: Sounds good. Sounds good. Let's go ahead and switch that focus and discuss the Bears' offense. You know, it was an up and down day for the unit mostly down. Uh, After yesterday's what Nagy called a sloppy performance. This is definitely a day that I don't think has them, you know, giddy by any means. But uh, before we get into those positional breakdowns, you know the drill. What was uh, perhaps your largest takeaway from the unit as a whole? And let's have Nick start that off.
3: You know, and I mentioned this earlier, earlier, there's a lot of situational football going on with the offense. They had a lot of reps in those third and fourth down situations. But there was also again more what we saw earlier in those earlier practices this pre-snap motion and um whether it was the first team offense, second team offense these had they had the defenders you know a little confused on where exactly people are ending up on a specific play so i'm glad that we saw more of that again because that's the true bears offense that we are going to see in 2018 a lot of pre-snap motion people are going to be all over the place so those are my kind of my big takeaways from today all right what about you b
2: this was something that we talked about uh, standing there in the back of the end zone, watching practice unfold. Was, you know, has this offense hit a plateau? Uh, we, you know, we're not seeing as many plays downfield as we thought we might have anticipated at this point. Uh, we're seeing still seeing a lot of checkdowns, which could definitely be covered. So tap, uh, caps off to the to the defense there, if that's what it actually is. Uh, but that that's something that I really have thought about uh, on our way back. Was you know. How much? If the training wheels actually come off, like we've quote heard from, you know, coaches, quarterbacks, whoever, you know, are the training wheels off? Are we still learning the basics? Are they able to uh take the next step in learning this offense? I, I think those are kind of questions. I think we kind of have to start wondering, uh, especially now that we're a game in uh in the preseason and
1: just the offense hasn't really shown a whole lot. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's still really early in preseason. Like for my point on the plateau thing is with every learning uh thing if you're learning it in the classroom uh acquiring a new skill uh you learn a lot of things real fast and you make a lot of progress and then you just hit like a point where you kind of get stagnant for a little bit and you have to work at it and work at it and then once you kind of like burst through that seal then you start to rise again start acquiring uh new knowledge new things uh at a quicker pace and i feel like they've kind of hit a wall over like the past week i haven't seen any further developments of course uh what we see in practice is just the tip of the iceberg what this offense is going to become but i just feel like we've seen the same thing for about a week and i'm ready to see some growth Uh, i think we definitely see some growth in some individuals and we'll talk about them in a bit but in terms of like a unit as a team uh, a cohesive group uh still a lot of flowing parts of course especially an offensive line with some injuries but Yeah, I think plateau might be a good word for it. Not a negative thing by any chance. Everything has a plateau, and I think they're just currently on it. Um, Will, I think that leaves you.
4: Uh, I'll go with the more positive aspect, and I will also answer to that plateau, especially for the starting offense, is that a lot of these uh, younger guys and the second and third stringers got some expanded reps. They got to uh, hit someone wearing a different colored Jersey. And I think that can spark a lot of things. So, I mean, you're talking whims, you're talking Bilal Nichols, you're talking some of those guys who got a little bit of a change up, got to have that little spark that, that change to that plateau that you're mentioning. The starters haven't gotten that yet. So I think Thursday when they have their next preseason game, I think we'll see that shift a little bit more, but I have to agree. I, it looks like some of the same stuff, and they haven't gotten a ton better at it yet. But I do think there isn't reason to panic at this point. No, we'll no. see a lot change after this next preseason game. For me, uh, we got to see, Nick and myself got to see a really good view of a lot of red zone and goal line stuff. And I was just really impressed with how Neggy creates space uh, in a part of the field where the defense is really at the advantage. I mean, they only have to cover the back of the end zone and maybe 5 to 10 yards of extra ground. So when truly your space is being diminished uh, between your you know yards to defender ratio, he knows how to create separation and honestly make easy touchdowns. Perhaps my favorite play was they would have Allen Robinson split out to the right, uh, not too far, I'd probably say midway between the tackle and the sideline. And then uh, they would have the fullback, Michael Burton, or I believe they also had Cunningham in there at one point as well. Yep. And what they would do is they would have Allen Robinson uh, run a square in on a slant route and kind of like have a sit route. And then Michael Burton would be running to the outside and all eyes would be on Allen Robinson. And Michael Burton had just the most clear path to the end zone. And they ran it twice.
1: Yeah, I saw that. And, I, and I'm
4: pretty sure the second time was with uh, Cunningham, I believe, but I mean, just an easy walk and touchdown. And there were a few other plays where the receivers just absolutely wide open in the back of the end zone. And that's definitely not Vic Fangio's defense being undisciplined. That's just how that's how Matt Nagy knows how to create space in the end zone, which I think was a great thing to see. And he did it a lot of different ways. That example was just one.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I saw the Michael Burton play twice, and I was like, wow, they're really hitting that one home. But, I mean, if it works, it doesn't matter who's scoring. If it's the fullback, if it's the backup tight end, or if it's Allen Robinson, the end result is still six points. So just create space, utilize those mismatches, uh, those yeah mismatches, and uh, just get the job done. And they did that today down there in the red zone. Um, so let's go ahead and positional specifics here, and let's begin with quarterback. It was pretty funny. Will, you mentioned it at the top of the show, and there's something Brandon and I said uh, is in the uh, short game. In, in in the short game, Trubisky has he's just putting too much zip on the ball. Don't you, you agree with that, right? I in a lot of cases
4: I would agree he's putting a little too much zip. There was one play specifically to Tariq Cohen where it was just a little slip route. Uh I think he'd been under pressures or you know that, that clock in the back of his head was, you know, getting like I need to get the ball out of here. And he chucks it at Tariq Cohen. I was like, dude, he's five yards in front of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you doing, man? And I mean, there are a few uh, few out routes where he's just putting a little too much zip on that ball. Um, and I mean, that's just maybe he's just trying to get it out a little too fast, uh, going through his progression a little bit too fast or maybe feeling that pressure, like I mentioned earlier. But there are times where, yes, he's putting too much zip on that ball. I will say, though, his deep ball looked phenomenal during one on ones today.
1: we'll go ahead and talk about that. Let's uh, counter that. Slight negative again, it's not the biggest negative in the world. Just something I he needs to work on that touch just a little bit. But let's talk about that deep ball. You said it was looking pretty phenomenal. I'm just gonna use your word.
4: Yeah, absolutely. When you're looking at the one-on-ones, I mean, he was leading receivers just just in a perfect spot. He was putting balls where only his guys could get them. You know, if it was an Allen Robinson or a Trey Burton, he was even at times putting it a little bit on a uh, put it on a jump ball path where, and it was still an advantageous position for his uh, his receiver to go up and get the ball. Perhaps my favorite throw of the day. It was a tad bit too far to the sideline, out of bounds, but. They had, I believe it was Burton running a wheel route, uh, Trey Burton. And he wasn't even, you know, breaking to the sideline yet. And Trubisky chucks it up and it was on a dime to Burton. It was a little too far out of bounds. He couldn't get his toes in. But I looked at Nick. I was like, dude, he threw that before Mm -hmm. Burton even made his break. Like that was a phenomenal ball. He knew exactly where Burton was going to be how far downfield he was going to be and he was still draped with coverage and it didn't matter Burton was able to separate and you know have plenty of space to to secure the catch now it's just got to be a little bit closer in bounds but that was probably the throw of the day and crazy that it's not a completion but it was just like this guy is starting to understand where his players are going to be and he knows how to put the ball there uh you know 20 yards before they're going to get there uh, that, and I think one-on-ones he really showed that he's developing more as a passer. He knows how that timing works out a little bit more. Now it's just some of those smaller things like touch going through his progression and uh, just some tightening up some of those smaller things.
1: Yeah, no, that's impeccable what uh, you're talking about with the timing, especially if he can start working on that, getting more of a rhythm, and the chemistry improves even, for, even further. It's going to be it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch this season. Uh, what about you, Nick, with that bird's-eye view? What can you tell me about, Drew?
3: Yeah, I thought um, just from the previous practices I've been to, it lo- this looked like Trubisky's uh, most accurate throwing practice for me. Um, just where he was putting the ball, like Will was saying, r- receivers weren't even coming out of their breaks yet, but the ball was where it needed to be, where it should be, and only where the receiver could get it, whether or not uh, the receiver caught it. Um, you know, that happens sometimes. But Trubisky looked good today, especially, like you said, in the one-on-ones. Um, And he also looked a little quicker with those decision-making. I know that that the team offense itself didn't do very well. And, again, you got to credit the Bears defense, who's been doing a great job in training camp throughout the entirety of it. But he just looked a little quicker. Obviously, you don't want to see every single play go to the check down, but uh, we did see those plays over the middle to the tight ends uh, happen a little bit in this practice. So I would say just from the previous practices I've been to, this was Trubisky's best throwing the football. Yeah,
1: uh, I'm trying to find a way to counter that because, I mean, I've been to more than you. But even then, I think you're right. This is probably the day that he was the most accurate from the beginning to practice to the end. Not a lot of overthrows. I can't recall any underthrows. And, yeah, I mean, he looked he looked really sharp today for the most he part. He did I mean,
3: have one overthrow. Um, I think it was just maybe in a 7-on-7. Seven seven. I think he tried to hit Benny Fowler on a post route, and he put a little bit too much. And it was his one interception on the day from from what I saw. But um again, we didn't see a lot of that and if it was it maybe it was just that one instance, but he looked accurate. And that's I mean, that's a good
1: thing. That's a good sign. Uh accuracy's great and of course uh the coverage was pretty darn tight all day long as well. Like you guys were mentioning during those team drills, those seven on sevens, uh how the unit just comes together. So for him to put those balls in the tight windows, you know, even the ones that maybe weren't completed, uh there's a few that hit some guys in the chest, some guys in the hands that still hit turf. So the balls were there. The balls were there. Trubisky got his job done, so do you guys want to mention anything from Chase Daniel or Tyler Bray? I don't have anything glaring one way or the other, so we could go straight to running backs
3: if you want. The one thing I'll say about Chase, uh, just when he went out with obviously the number twos, uh, he just he looked fired up. Um, there was this one play where defense wasn't set, and he hikes the ball immediately, throws a touchdown. I, I forget who ends up catching it, but he's celebrating, you know, just kind of pumping his fist and just acknowledging like, hey, look, we went out there, we scored. And I like that about Chase Daniel. He didn't have the best game in that preseason game, uh, the Hall of Fame game against the Ravens. But, look, he's still trying to, you know, pump up his teammates. I think he goes and smacks one of the running backs on the butt right after that. So, you know, you like to see that out of your your backup quarterback who's you know, obviously here to help out Mitch Trubisky.
1: Yeah, he brings passion. He surely does. I've seen that throughout camp, no doubt. Moving over to the running back, I'm just going to hand it to B here. Again, uh, the Bears worked on the running game for a decent amount today at practice, um, but we talked about in the defense, not a lot of room for these backs to go. But with that said, any any way you want to take the running backs? Yeah, I'm going to kind of clump running
2: back and wide receiver together just real fast here on one point. One word we heard uh, stay in the back of the end zone from a lot of the coaches today was was finish. Finish the play, finish, finish, finish. Uh, and Jordan Howard and Benny Cunningham both had fumbles today. Uh, Benny Cunningham's was closer more to the, when the whistle was blown, which tells me he was just kind of giving up on the play. Uh, so they have to be able to finish in that aspect, play through the whistle, not just to the whistle. Uh, but, I mean, the offensive line didn't help the running game today. We've seen a lot more runs today uh, than we've seen, or at least that I've seen uh, in my time at camp. Uh, so it was interesting to see uh that they're, they're starting to show they're going to run the ball more. I've seen Tariq Cohen back there taking a few handoffs, uh, which was nice that he's not just going to be thrown out there as a receiver. They are going to try and use him as a uh, running back as well. And he, he did have one nice run in there today, uh, but it was just very tough for the running backs to get any sort of yardage uh, with the offensive line just not being able to hold up to uh, Keem Hicks and Blyle
3: Nichols intensity out there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Nick, how about you? Running backs, anything that uh, you took from it?
3: You know, they didn't show a lot today, but
5: going back
3: again to that blocking drill the running backs did a fairly good job and it starts with you know Benny Cunningham Jordan Howard uh Michael Burton that's what he's there to do be a blocker and he showed that in that blocking drill just standing up opposing linebackers so I will say that they did a very good job at that aspect in practice and also I'm always paying attention to Jordan Howard and when the ball's thrown to him is he catching it he, I, have, I don't think I've seen a drop from Jordan Howard personally. And maybe he has obviously dropped some passes in practice, but now when I'm watching, so he's still continuing to work on that and showing throughout practice. So cannot wait to see when it comes to game time if the practice you know translates to uh, obviously regular season play. What about you, Will?
4: Nick kind of stole my thunder. I was going to go with the blocking aspect of things. Uh, I think you guys have really covered exactly what the running backs went through today. Kind of hard to critique them accurately because the run blocking was non-existent. I will say I kind of want to see uh, Taequann Mazzell have a few more opportunities of running the ball and kind of more in the three down aspect. Because today, again, he flashed a few occasions where they gave him an opportunity. uh, If they're just giving him a ball out of the backfield, he has the ability to make more than one person miss and really create some plays. But it's going to be a very crowded race in that backfield to earn a 53-man roster spot. And I feel it's a little disingenuous just to give him these few things that he's good at and say whether or not he's good enough to make the roster based on those things. I want to see whether he can adapt, whether he can block in the backfield, whether whether he can, uh, you know, diagnose uh, holes in the run game. And it's all it's being a complete player. And I want to see if he can manage that more than just what we know he can do, which is go out of the backfield and make defenses pay.
3: Before we move on from the running backs, I will say this. I am a little surprised of how much I'm not really seeing Tariq Cohen in the backfield as a running back I knew he'd be definitely implementing this offense as a you know a slot receiver as a receiver but I'm you know a little I guess taken back by the number of times I just don't see him in the backfield as much is that surprising to you guys at all at this point in training camp or are you guys seeing the same thing or anything like that? I saw him out there more today than in days
1: past, but it's still not as much as maybe I thought coming in to camp because the, throughout the entirety of the practices, it's been Jordan Howard and then in the backfield, it would go straight to Benny Cunningham and then Mazelle and then Null. Uh and then maybe they sprinkle in Cohen once in a while, but mm-hmm. no, yeah, Cohen's been pretty much a wide receiver. And if that's how they're going to utilize him and he's going to be that running back, but he primarily plays wide out. I mean, that's fine by me. Does I think the bears, uh, the new staff, is going to find ways to get him the ball in situations that he can really thrive, and if they think that's more in the open space in terms of receiver, I'm fine by it.
3: Okay, just just I uh, wanted to see the the take from from you guys. Well, he got. No, one. I'm
4: a hundred. I'm a hundred percent agreement with you, Nick. I I really thought that Colin kind of had this way to be a real to player. Like you always have to keep track of where he is on the field. But if you just keep putting him at receiver, you kind of take away that kind of uh, that aspect of his game where defenses have to pay the utmost attention because he will burn you if you don't pay attention to him. But if you just put him in the same spot all the time, well, that kind of takes away that aspect of it, you know?
3: Yeah, the element of surprise. I mean, that's that's what I was figuring. Like, they're going to put him in the backfield one play. He's going to be split out wide, slot. I mean, obviously, the like we talked about the pre snap motion stuff, you can do that. But, yeah, I just feel, felt like he's been, obviously, we talk talked about as a receiver thus far.
1: So, speaking of receivers, let's move on to that <laughs> position, guys. And I'm going to hand it over here to Brandon uh, about some of his top takeaways. Before I do, though, I want to say there's no Josh Bellamy today. I think he had a day off. But uh, Taylor Gabriel, he's out with a foot injury that happened yesterday. And uh, Nagy said it's uh, in John Fox fashion, day-to-day. But I actually trust that this one is more actual day-to-day and not the day-to-day of old but B over to you wide receivers Javon Williams
2: a guy who really impressed us on Thursday uh had had some I'll call him focus drops they hit him in the hands uh he could have been he was in coverage on a few of them uh Trubisky could have had a little more touch on some of them I guess too uh, but regardless of hitching the hands, you got to catch it. Uh, and that's where the focus drops, uh, the word that I'm using there, uh, comes into play. Because if, if it's going to hit you in the hands, you've got to be able to reel it in. And he showed that he can make these great acrobatic catches, uh, showed that he was able to be reliable late in games, uh, coming back against the Ravens there. Uh, but you also got to be able to make the easy ones. And it's, it's great to see him make all these, these big plays. It was nice to see him be bumped up uh, to the twos. I think he definitely deserves it. Uh, but he's got to be able to make the, the focus, easy plays as well.
1: Yeah, he had a great play in the end zone uh, towards your guys. I believe he beat Kyle Fuller. Uh, do you guys Did you see that play? And if so, can you tell our listeners about it? I saw the tail end of it, but I saw like the adjustment he made, which looked like he was uh, playing basketball, going up for a rebound, and just beat Fuller up and at him for that ball.
4: Yeah, I agree with you 100% well. Uh, that's exactly what happened. Uh, to uh, refer to another person who just got selected in the Hall of Fame, uh, Fuller got mossed. Um, essentially, um, he he exactly like you said he made a great adjustment to the ball in the air and he was just basically went right over the top of Fuller and hold it in. There was a couple plays and one on ones where Fuller and Wims were having really good battles and it was odd enough that he got kind of the ball in the same exact place on a few different a uh, few different attempts. And honestly, I really like the way that Fuller kind of pushes Wims. Wims won that battle, but it was a battle throughout the entire practice, and I really like that wims is with the twos now so he has a few more reps against these better corners like fuller which i think will really improve his game in the long run
1: no absolutely going up against the you know higher caliber players is really gonna help him adjust to the nfl game really the game of football in general is still very new to it but that's gonna expedite his development at least i I agree with you well i think it's gonna do just that uh what about you nick top takeaway from the wide receivers
3: uh, not much of a takeaway, but just Kevin White. Uh, I saw him make a couple plays today, but it always seems like in every practice that you know I've seen or read about Kevin White, he he's always able to make a couple plays, whether it's just you know going past somebody just using his speed. But when it comes to adjusting and having to make a a difficult catch but still makeable catch, he doesn't come down with it. I saw that earlier uh, today in practice where the ball wasn't thrown uh the most accurately. But it was still catchable for for Kevin White. He had the range. He, he got his hands on it. But once, you know, hits the ground, um, you know, he just loses uh, control of the ball there. That just seems like the thing with Kevin White. Um, I haven't seen a lot of where he, he it's a 50-50 ball. He comes down with it. It's more so he's open. The ball hits him in the hands. He's going to catch it. I want to see more of these times where the ball is not placed in the right spot and where he just needs to make a play makes it make an adjustment to it and then come down with it you know obviously the bears have not seen a lot of kevin white so you want to see him be able to do that and you know we don't know how much playing time he's going to get he's most likely going to be a starter but he's got to be able to come down with those 50 50 balls
1: no you're right if he's gonna be out there he definitely needs to do so in terms of the wide receivers i'll give a Positive and a negative. One of my positives today was Allen Robinson's route running. I mean, just so sharp, so quick to get in and out of his breaks. For a guy who's coming off an ACL, I mean, that's really impressive. We saw it a little bit earlier on in camp. Uh, He kind of flashes it at least once per practice, but today it just seemed like he was on a new level, just a little bit more explosive out in and out of those breaks and especially right in front of us during the early 7 on 7. Uh, I talked about the one where he just had uh, Marcus Cooper beat instantly. I mean, it was it was insanely quick. And I think that's why you have Allen Robinson. He's big. He may not be the fastest, but he surely is quick with his routes. And my negative is going to go to Marlon Brown. He's still looking like he's struggling. Uh, A few times he wasn't able to make some easy catches, some easy plays, and he's someone who I think over the last couple of weeks he's really started to uh, trending downward. And, I mean, at this point I don't think there's a chance he's actually going to make this team whatsoever. Uh, So, guys, I want to just move straight on to tight end for the sake of time here unless there's something glaring that we need to go back to at wide receiver. And... Is that annoying? I mean,
3: Anthony Miller. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I mean, we ahead, have to ahead. talk about go, Anthony go Miller because you can't talk about receivers without him. He, it's, whatever, Whoever he goes against, he's going to make that DP usually look bad. It doesn't matter if it's first string, second string, third string. He is so competitive with every route, runs it precisely. And I was telling Will, it, it seems like whenever Trubisky throws it to Miller, it's usually a good decision. One, he's open. Two, he's reliable. Three, he's going to catch the ball. And he's been making plays throughout training camp. And, you know, I have to do, like, a preview on him, and I just don't know if I should just, you know, just give him the benefit of the doubt from what I've seen and just give him the highest of expectations because, honestly, I think this kid, is he's special, and he's been showing it throughout training camp thus far.
1: No, you're right. It's in, It's intriguing because coming in, we were trying to keep the bar relatively, you know, low, and now it's like... Wow, he's really proven he can be a playmaker. So how high do you want to raise the expectations? Mm-hmm. It's it's a great question. Again, we have all preseason to kind of see how he looks in uh, game-time situations. But I have mentioned it before on the podcast. He brings the same spark that Tariq Cohen brought a year ago. And look what the kind of rookie year Tariq Cohen had in an abysmal offense. So just imagine what someone like – of course, Miller can do in an offense that actually has schematical elements to it. So this will be very exciting indeed for Anthony Miller. And by the way, he retweeted your video of his route today, so that was pretty cool as well. I did see that. That is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Now, we're going to move on to tight end now, if that's okay. I I do apologize about forgetting Anthony Miller. Two hours of sleep, but we're all kind of persevering through (laughs) that. Two hours. I know. So tight end... uh, what do you want to take it? And B, I'm going to go right to you first. Colin Thompson was a guy who, when we
2: were first getting into camp, we we consistently and still are bringing up that oh, we only had four catches or five catches at Temple uh, and three. Sorry, I'm still highballing his his catch right there. <laughs> um, but he's now. I don't know if it's the law of averages starting to come into play, but he dropped some some very catchable balls uh, these last few uh, practices uh, and against the Ravens as well. Uh, that, that's something that is going to worry me as far as his sake is making a team. I don't know necessarily room for him because I had him getting cut anyway, uh, but for his sake, he's going to have to find a way to, to beat those law of averages, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, he's going to have to find a way to get some, some stick them on his gloves or something.
1: I like it. Stick them old school. What about you, will tight ends uh, biggest takeaway or just what you want our listeners to know from today's practice.
4: Uh, I think Deion Sims bounced back a little bit from uh, what Nick was very uh, <laughs> very decisive in saying it wasn't quite his best performance uh, in the Hall of Fame game. I thought he had a pretty solid practice overall. Um, I agree with you, uh, Brandon, on Colin Thompson. He's a guy who I was pretty high on through those first uh, through those first few practices, especially because I was so down on him to uh, start training camp. He really turned my head uh, that. His, uh, his stats and kind of his byline wasn't, uh, wasn't emblematic of who he was as a player, but he's definitely taken a few steps back uh, since those since that opening week. Um, Adam Shaheen, um, I, he, he shows what he can do in some practices, and then he comes back down to earth for other ones. I think yesterday uh, was a practice that he excelled in, and this one was one that he came back down to earth. I know, uh, I think, Will, you were at the practice where he had a few just phenomenal end zone touchdowns. Um, Yeah,
1: and those were non-padded, though, so it's like, you know, keep that in mind, too. Correct. Um,
4: You know, you you want to give him the benefit of the doubt that that athleticism shines through, but then there are days like today where he kind of just disappears, and I don't think he got a ton of opportunities, but at the same time, it's like you want to see him succeed and kind of make himself available for those opportunities at times as well, so... Down day for Shaheen in my eyes, a little bit trending upward for Deion Sims. It's kind of odd to put a trending up or down for Trey Burton because we still don't really know what his role is. We know he's going to be involved. He's been involved in a number of ways, but it's kind of like, well, it kind of to quote Office Space, it's, well, what would you say you do here? Because I don't i don't think we know yet and i and he of course like i said has a role he's been executing some solid catches and running good routes and you know being a serviceable serviceable blocker when called upon but at the same time it's like i still don't know what he's doing so i don't know if he's doing it well exactly
1: yeah no you're exactly
3: right there what about you nick tight end um, with the tight ends, I guess just coming in with this group, it, I guess it wasn't a question whether these guys can go out and catch passes because I think that's the strength of these. Um, you know, the the role of all three of the starting tight ends, I guess. But it's the blocking that kind of scares me a little bit. And going back to that blocking drill, obviously it's more advantageous for the defense, but you still want to see them, I guess, give more of a fight because. Trey Burns getting pushed back easily by a Sam Macho. Uh, Adam Shaheen's still late on, you know, whether it's Leonard Floyd or other guys. Um, these tight ends need to learn how to, I guess, not give up as much ground when they're getting uh, all these different moves thrown at them. And, look, Trey Burns not one who, I guess, maybe excels in blocking. Deion Sims had his struggles in the past. Adam Shaheen coming into, you know, his rookie season was questionable at blocking. I want to see that improve, you know, because – a big part of this is going to be Jordan Howard running the ball. They're going to need these tight ends to block because they can't always go out and pass or catch passes. So that's something that I'm going to be watching for moving forward, just the the blocking from these this tight end group. Exactly. And on top of that, of course, is going
1: to be run blocking, not just, of course, pass blocking. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, something to keep an eye on out of the unit, no doubt about it. I know when we all broke from today's camp, we're we're going to keep today's report short. We're already nearing about an hour here on the recording, and we haven't even talked about the Bears' offensive line today. So for the Bears' offensive line, my first observation when I was walking around the field was I saw 68 back out there in pads. James Daniels was out there in pads. He was still limited. I think he's working.
5: How personalized can a financial plan be when it's created by one of those robo-advisors?
0: Plugging in standard algorithm to calculate insurance need and future wealth of random human client.
5: Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting to know you always comes first. Together, we'll create a financial plan based on your specific goals. Find a local Farm Bureau advisor at fbfs.com slash protect. It's your future. Let's protect it.
1: gets way back from injury, but of course, that's still a step in the right direction to be out there padded up partaking in some individual drills even though he wasn't out there in team drills and my other note real quick on the offensive line before I let you guys kind of take over uh, about this struggling unit today was the fact that both backup centers. They just cut the other 74. I don't have the roster card in front of me, so I apologize. And now there's a new guy, same number, 74, so probably just gave him the same jersey. And he still can't snap. So the Bears are having a hard time finding a backup center. I know Heronis Scarsu was out there exercising today. Uh, it's the first time I actually saw him on the sideline ever since he went down with an injury a week and a half ago. but or That might even be two weeks now. But they're having a hard time finding people who can play center with the second and third string without James Daniels there. And that's a problem because it ruins a lot of reps for the twos and the threes. And, Will, you mentioned it, uh, especially for the threes, they don't get a lot of reps in general. I mean, the twos, of course, are even limited compared to the ones. Um, but when they're out there for a handful of plays and, say, two of them are ruined by a botch snap, I mean, that's not just that, that's not just fair for the guy playing center. That's not fair for anyone on offense, even the defense. They're just wasted snaps that the coaches can't get much information from. So, for me, that's still a bit frustrating that they can't find someone to play backup center at least throughout training camp but let's go to nick next
3: for offensive line yeah there just wasn't much push from any of the groups the ones twos or threes i think actually the threes had the best push because there was a positive run i think it was like an eight yard game by mazel on the right side and that was i think the best run of the day and i was also looking for james daniels just to see if he was padded up in the beginning of practice i couldn't find him anywhere but then will and i spotted him uh he actually getting, he got some reps in uh, some field goal stuff, but he did play some team. And from what I watched him do there, he was able to stay with his guy, um, you know, was able to seal off a block for Mazelle to get through a little lane there. But yeah, didn't see too much of him, but I'm always paying attention to see, you know, James Daniels, see how he's doing, progressing, uh, especially with that shoulder injury that he had, um, you know, just a while ago. Um, just want to see how he's progressing with that.
1: Okay, so I did not see him out there as a team. Of course, you, again, had the bird's eye. I was very far away. Uh, so was he worth the twos or the threes? I just want to know real quick.
3: So he was with um, – so after the field goal session, I think he was with the twos at left guard. Okay,
4: perfect. He, yes, correct. He was with the twos at left guard. And I would also add, uh, talking to uh, Lester from Windy City Gridiron. and I know he's come on the show a few times, but I know I was wondering. I was like, "Well, why isn't he starting? Because Earl Watford is not exactly my ideal starting guard in any scenario. Uh, why is he here now? Um, and that's because he was uh, filling in for Kyle Long, who was also out today. Uh, a, kind of a side note here: uh, when he was, when Kyle Long was jogging across the field, I saw a noticeable hitch in his in his uh, jog." Uh, slightly concerning, uh, that, and he didn't seem too excited to jog at any time. I mean, not that I'm ever excited to run, but (laughs) I, it definitely seems like, uh, there's something, uh, there's something bugging him in his lower body. Um, I'm not going to speculate too much because the one time I speculated on Tolliver being back the next day, he wasn't. So I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to jinx anything with that. Um, but Yeah, I just wanted to make sure I brought that up because Earl Watford uh, as a starting guard kind of threw me off a little bit. But that's because they're keeping uh, they're keeping James Daniels at that left guard spot and Kyle Long plays right guard. So they're just going to keep him learning left guard for the time being, it seems like, and just make sure he has that down pat before shifting him around. Now, what maybe would be more interesting is that they shifted Eric Cush to right guard, allowing Daniels to get some reps with the ones. But that's obviously something we'll have to wait for on a later date.
1: I will admit that's a fantastic idea. I know Eric Kush can play all three positions in the interior line, so, I mean, that's not a reach by any means. So, yeah, that's an interesting thing. Maybe that will come to fruition here uh, throughout the rest of the preseason. We'll find out. But, guys, looking at the offense as a whole one final time, anything that we for maybe forgot to mention or you kind of remembered throughout the conversation that you want to make sure that we discuss before we move on?
3: Not really. I think we, we hit on a bunch of things. Like you said, we, this is not supposed to be an hour-long podcast, but we're still going over a little bit in an hour, right? Yeah, that's half the amount of sleep we got. <laughs> oh, yeah. It really is. Total, I think we have the the amount of sleep that an average person should have, like eight hours. We have it combined with all four of us. <laughs> <laughs> makes... I was
4: going to say, don't remind me how much sleep we're running on right <laughs> now, man. That's demoralizing. <laughs>
1: Yes, it is. All right, cool, guys. So real quick, let's do a quick hit on special teams because that's just what we do. Uh, and again, if you don't have anything, feel free to let me know. But for me, I just have two. Uh, Cody Parkey, he was pretty much money throughout most of the field goal drills on our end. Uh, I think he missed one, maybe two. But uh, the rest of them, what really took me back was that they were right down the center. He hit the all-22 camera, uh, the pole behind the uprights uh, multiple times. One of them almost hit Brandon and I right in the head. So I think the view of the ball was the best view we had throughout the most of practice but yeah uh i was I'll, i can show my age here he was calling collect you know right down the center 1-800-C-O-L-L-E-C-T uh for those field goals um but and then on top of that the starting field goal blocking unit that i saw which of course it's always good to pay attention to because it's a good indication who's going to make the team uh but looking at this list most is fairly obvious you have fuller amos Acho, roy robertson harris John Bullard, Eddie Goldman, Hakeem Hicks, John Anderson out there, which you have to wonder with Roquan if things would kind of shift uh, with him, but Anderson's been a core special teamer, so it's not really a surprise. Quickkowski, uh, McManus, and Eddie Jackson, so that's the 11 out there, uh, when the other team is kicking a field goal. Uh, do you guys have any special teams takeaways? Brandon does. I'm going to hand the mic over.
2: Yeah, before we left, we were watching the all-intriguing punting battle, uh, and Ryan Winslow just looks like he's kind of starting to fall off or taper off this this battle here. So as much as I'd like to say there's a competition there, I don't think there's at this point.
1: Megapunt lives. What about you guys over Megapunt. there?
3: Megapunt.
1: <laughs> no, I have nothing on special teams. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Will? Can you share the quote that Tabor said? I think that would be a fun one. A little tidbit to end the show.
4: Oh, geez. Um how About
1: the 10 minutes.
4: Oh, that's right. So uh, towards the end of practice, uh, whether it's people tired or whether it's people being disorganized, uh, you know, he screams like, you're wasting my time. And I said, that is exactly what a special teams coach would say, because they only get about 10 to 15 minutes of practice per day. So if you're wasting his time and wasting his reps, he's going to get more angry than, you know, an offensive coach. You know, obviously they'll still be upset, but you're taking away – minutes from a guy who only has a few minutes of practice per day. So he's like, you're wasting my time. I was like, now that's a special teams coach. If I've ever heard one.
1: <laughs> exactly. All right, guys. So we talked about Brian Neurlachers and Schreiman, or time in Canton or time in Cleveland. Um, today's practice. Any final thoughts before we head
3: off? It was a fun weekend, fun event filled weekend. We got to do a lot. Like you said, and yeah, I mean, we didn't get much sleep, but it was well worth it. Absolutely. What about you? Will?
4: You know, uh, just two words uh, to
1: Brian, to Brian, to Brian. Brian. Awesome. That's going to do it. Bears fans. On behalf of my Bears brothers, I want to thank you for tuning into this episode. Remember to review our show on iTunes or Apple podcasts. If you do like it, we all appreciate the time that you give us and leaving a review is a perfect way of letting us know that you're here and you're listening. You know, I personally wish I could make it to Bears camp tomorrow for one last report, but my son, he has kindergarten orientation, and I really don't want to miss that moment, so I hope you understand, but don't worry. Nick's going to be there later on in the week for a practice. He's all going all the way to Denver for the joint practices, so still plenty more Bears camp reports to come. And on top of that, I want to let you know that the next time you hear from us, we're going to do a quick game preview for Thursday night's game in Cincinnati. Of course, that will be followed by a post-game show after the game, because that's what we do here. Um, so what should you be paying attention to on Thursday night? You'll find out soon. But until then, bear down, Chicago. <laughs>